Abba Yahweh, thank you for this opportunity again. Your grace, your mercy, Father God, for the days. Thank you for your strength, Father God. Thank you for your truth, knowledge, and your wisdom in allowing me to do this and be your conduit. Father God, I pray that you bless and increase to those that are listening, Father God. They that have an ear, let them hear and bless your word, Father God. Strength and courage and uprightness and boldness in your word, Father. Thank you. So, um, good morning again, and we're here and sharing, and I saw something interesting on one of my routes that I do, I had, uh, we have uh, a time period to work, and then when we come in and take everything into the shop and I was next to this building and I looked up and I hadn't really noticed it before but there I can't remember what they call this place Inspiration Alley or something and uh, they painted some big signs on the side of the building with interesting quotations and I was pondering this one and I prayed about bringing this into a biblical context because it's very interesting and very actually, um, we are told this very thing, but this is very, the way that this person had done this. Um, oh goodness, no, I can't remember the name. Brewster, I think, something like that. Anyway, everything that we face cannot be changed but nothing can until we face it. Interesting. I was looking and I thought, wow, that's that's actually that's actually a pretty profound statement. And then I got to thinking, how can that be it sounded so familiar and, and uh <coughs> I thought that okay, this needs to be something I can find scripturally. And the Holy Spirit brought me into the Word and was, and God gave me some insight and brought me to some Word and, and think about this and think about what I said. What is, change denotes renewal, something remodeled, something adjusted, and Okay, let's uh, let's see if I can make this uh, more understandable. I mean, understand me when I tell you this, that I assume nothing and assume everything, and I'm not assuming that everyone out there is knowing all these things, and no one out there is stupid. Okay, here's, here's a, let's get this very clear and pointed right now. Ignorance has nothing to do with stupidity. Ignorance merely means a lack of information. That's it. So I say that to say this. I will assume that there are many out there that finish and have a good education. And they know things. But I also have to know that there are those that 
did not finish school many times. There are individuals that run into that are like that. They didn't complete school for some reason or another. Um, and they don't understand everything as is spoken. Things have to be addressed and explained to them. And that's okay. That is ignorance. It's not stupidity. They just lack information. So what I want to do is I want to change that. I want to provide that information. That information that I am providing is the word of God. It is one of his tenets that we must provide the gospel to all nations. And once the nations have all heard the gospel, you will come back. You will return as you promise in the word. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, we have to also understand that Jesus did much of this. And he was trying to teach the disciples to do this very thing, to change things. Samaria was a country that was just north of Judea. And the reason that the Jewry and the uh, Sanhedrin and the pharisaical teachers in that area are so agitated. When, when Assyria invaded, many Samaritans, and they were up in the north country closer to that, and, and they intermarried with... Uh, pagans that had come into the country decided to settle there. They migrated and they uh, settled down. So the Jews were supposed to be apart. But you notice that all through the walk from Egypt to the promised land, all these, that these individuals chose to turn a lot. And when those settlers came into the country, they didn't keep themselves separate. They intermarried with them. They adopted their pagan beliefs. And they adopted false idols and teachers. So this is why the Jewish people and the Samaritans were at odds and I think, I don't directly see, um, I think I remember seeing it in the word one place. I have to find it again. But they blame the Samaritans for allowing that to take place. <laughs> so rather than change anything and facing that change that all these decades, we're talking about, Hundreds of years here, um, according to my reading, one of my mentors, that the evasion was about 701 years before Jesus was even born. And Israel was at odds with many countries. If you, when you read the book of Psalms, David's poems and songs to the Lord, 
there was constant warfare. And there was constant warfare. I mean, this started way back in Egypt. Joseph came to Egypt because his brothers were doing some not good things. They didn't like him because they believed that his their father favored him. They didn't like him because he bragged about his dream that he had and that they would be kneeling before him. Um, <laughs> they didn't realize, of course, that uh, he was stepping into what the Lord intended for him to be able to interpret the dreams and guide him. And he told his brothers that that would happen one day. And they just thought that he was arrogant, rude, and nasty, and they didn't pay attention to what he was saying. Instead, they were going to beat him to death. They beat him up pretty good, and then they threw him into a hole. They were going to feed him to lions. And they took his coat of many colors and returned it to his father with all the bloodstains on it. And they lied. They said he'd been attacked and killed. Yeah, well, they put him in a hole and they sold him into slavery. And that caravan took him and went to Egypt, where, of course, if those of you that read the word know the rest of the story, or should know. And for those of you that don't, Joseph was sold into bondage in Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him mightily and kept his promise to him. He made his way up the ladder and he had he was imprisoned. Then he was in bondage. And then he had, uh, he had a man's wife try to accuse him of seducing her <coughs> and raping her. And he was put in prison, was going to put to death and all these things happened and then it was revealed by the Lord's hand that Joseph could interpret dreams and he did so and made his way up and then here's the thing where his brothers came and knelt before him and bowed to him so the, the rest of his young age and into adulthood Joseph was taught Egyptian, spoke Egyptian learned the Egyptian ways and the Lord elevated him through his knowledge and wisdom of interpreting dreams. And he became second in the land of Egypt only to the Pharaoh himself. That meant that if the Pharaoh decided to take a vacation, go fishing down in the Nile somewhere, Joseph was in charge. So he went from being thrown in a hole, beat up by his brothers, despise of his brothers because of their ignorance, their lack of knowledge and understanding, but that turned around <coughs> and that change was made by the hand of God and Israel, when that Pharaoh died, the next Pharaoh came in and he was listening to his false testimony and false wisdom because they didn't have any. It was just their uh, arrogant attitude and they were actually afraid of Israel and afraid because they were multiplying and going because at the time that Joseph was in charge and his brothers came and knelt before him 
not knowing who he was, and he spoke to them in Egyptian through an interpreter. They didn't recognize him. And he made an arrangement to get uh, Benjamin, who was the youngest, <clears throat> to get him to come before him, his father. And then during the famine that was going on, Joseph told, revealed himself, and he told him, told his brothers, bring my father and everyone with you and bring them here. There's plenty of food. There's land that you can be in because there is a terrible, terrible, terrible drought. Nobody was eating and um, his brothers originally came because they were going to trade and, and barter with Egypt and buy supplies so they could eat. So the Egyptians became afraid of Israel and the counselors convinced the Pharaoh's successor, the next Pharaoh, that they should fear them and what they need to do is they need to take Israel and put them into bondage and not just servitude, but bondage to make them do the hardest labor to make them weak and keep them weak. And then, of course, we know that Moses came along and killed one and then ran off. And um, So all these things were changing and going on. And from that point on, they, they were led of God, led, led of God through Moses. And Moses was doing his level best to guide them. But they... We're a stiff-necked people, and God even calls them that, calls us that. We should regard that. Led them out. They kept turning away from God, and you know that when Moses went up on God's mountain and was there for some time, that the people became impatient and attitudinal, and they demanded that Aaron, because... Aaron was a metalsmith and they demanded that he make them an idol that they could worship because Moses was gone and they wanted to be in charge of their own ways now and that's when Moses came down and found them worshiping the golden calf because that was a pagan idol that was worshipped in Egypt and they started following that. Then when they went out and they wandered in the wilderness for so long because they had their little coward went up there and said, oh, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. Well, then you had Joshua and Caleb who came back honestly. And, and as you may or may not know, if you didn't read into the word or you don't read the Bible, that there was that point that those 10 that disobeyed God and gave the negative report, and their family backed them all up. Said, yeah, yeah, we can't go in there, we can't go in there. It doesn't matter what God said, we can't go in there because we're just grasshoppers. <laughs> Pardon me. Those representatives from those 10 tribes, they were consumed. What do I mean consumed? That means that the earth opened up and swallowed them by the hand of God. And only those that testified true were true to the word and, and paying attention. But as part of, part of a um, punishment, 
because they allowed that negative report and they did not follow the word of God and they, they didn't they didn't represent the word of God. So they wandered for 40 years. But again, I share with you and I've shared with you before, God never left them. During this whole time, they wandered 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't need to be repaired and God fed them. And then those that... <laughs> Those that were left, what did they do? They complained by the hand of God, feeding them. They didn't like heavenly bread. Angels eat manna. That's heavenly bread. But they complained about that. And then God sent pheasants and quail. And they complained because they were in disobedience still. They were trying to keep in a hold. They were told, you just go out and gather what you need for the day. (coughs) Pardon me. What was God trying to show them is that I provide your needs always, daily. Don't go out and gather up and get all this stuff that you need to have or you think that you need to have, but you really just want to have. And um, we do the same thing. We gather up all these temporal things, so we hoard them into us because we believe that we need to have that. Well, God was trying to show them that they didn't need to have that. They wanted to have that. He was providing their needs. Every single day they were gathering food and it was provided. Then they got the notion, we need to store this up in case something happens. In case of what? What if? Even if. God wasn't going to stop taking care of them. And he didn't. And he hasn't. Just like he promises not to stop taking care of us. He hasn't, and he doesn't. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are his children. He created us. He loves us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And now we're going to go back to that change. Nothing changes unless you face it. And everything that we face can be changed. There are some things that God has established and you're not going to change them. You might not agree or appreciate and you want to change them to fit your agenda or to fit your desire. But the thing that you have to realize is that there are many things that you can't do, shouldn't do, which I don't do, won't do and need to pray for strength for that. But there are many things that we can change and alter and we face them. And here's the thing in doing that too. The Lord Jesus told us, I've shared it with you before, in Luke, when he told the disciples and he told us, I have given you authority to step on the heads of serpents and scorpions, even unto the enemy himself. What does that tell us? That we have been given authority, strength over the minions that come from hell, the minions that support what Satan is trying to do in the agenda on this plane of existence that we're in. And even to face him, ourselves. We can do that. 
Let me remind you, Satan is adept at camouflage, altering. He can alter states of mind. He can alter physical things around, make things appear. And here's the thing, in our mindset, this is where (coughs) Satan excels at things because he knows that our mind is our weakest link. And that goes, it doesn't matter what your intellectual prowess is, how much intellect you think that you have and you think that you know, you don't. It's a spiritual warfare for your very soul and the weakest point of attack is the mindset. This is, and it's repeated many times in the Bible to be of like-minded to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul. And we are to set our minds on those things which are higher. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. It's talked about in John. Brethren and sisters, we need to be on guard constantly. God provided us a full armor, and that is spiritual armor, that we can arm ourselves and be ready in this battle. People people think that when, you know, Satan, Satan comes and Satan's so scary and Satan, no, he's not. Satan's a liar. And like I've shared with you, don't, don't flatter yourself by thinking that you're so important that Satan's gonna come himself. You're not, really. That's his truth. If it bothers you and you get your knickers in a twist and you can't sit comfortably, don't listen for a while. I don't care, Remember? I care about the validation of Lord God Almighty because he's the one who's provided this word and I share this word because it's truth. And the truth is that you are not important enough to Satan for him to appear and manifest himself. He did so with Jesus because he knew what the authority that Jesus carried was, is, and always will be. He is the only begotten Son of God. Satan came himself to tempt him. He didn't uh, trust that to any of his minions. And Jesus rebuked him. And know this, that in that, when Jesus went, that he had been fasting for 40 days. Jesus was weak. Here's the thing that a lot of people miss out on. Jesus came to earth as a man so that he would feel empathy to us. He would know and be aware of what we went through. He didn't come down here and float around over the ground six, eight inches above the earth. And he didn't, he never stubbed his toe and he didn't stumble. He didn't smash his thumb or something with a hammer. That didn't happen that way. Jesus went through everything that we go through. He was tired when he was out ministering to people for days and days and days and days. He stubbed his toe and he smashed his thumb. All these things that he went through, all the feelings that he was having and dealing with all these things that were going on. He dealt with all that. And he went to Nazareth because of his compassion and love for his earthly mother and was rebuked by them. And what did they tell him? <laughs> Who do you think you are? We know your family. We know your brothers and sisters. We know your mother and father. We know that you're the son of Joseph the carpenter and you're a craftsman. Why should we listen to you? 
So they rebuked his authority. Satan knew his authority. The one who wants to destroy everything that God created and holds dear to his heart, he wants to destroy that. And he wants to pull that. Why? Because Satan lived there once. Satan was an archangel of the highest degree in order. And he was cast out of heaven. What did Jesus say? I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. But you have authority over the snakes and the scorpions, even unto the enemy himself. We have authority to face this liar, deceiver. And he is not, he is not omniscient. He doesn't know all like God does. And God knows, and God, it's not like God's a know-it-all. God does know everything. There's a difference. God does know everything all the time. He's omniscient in that. He knows all those things. He is also omnipresent. He is with us all the time. And he's omnipotent. He is all powerful. God is all powerful. <clears throat> Let me take a little side sheet there. He's also a really great artist. <laughs> he has been giving me He's no, he knows that there's a, uh, a little bit of a, a, of a struggle going on between me and the minions. And, um, and that's okay with me. It is okay because the more Satan sends his minions, and that means that I'm doing something that makes him nervous. He hasn't manifested himself yet. <coughs> but he keeps sending them, pardon me. And he does this in many different respects. But something that I'm doing is bothering him. Why? Because God's got a design. God's got a purpose. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And this is what we have to do. We have to change our mental outlook toward what goes on. This is why Satan has many minions. Let me, I'm going to share this with you. I know this is sound like a, and I, I don't want this to be a political platform, but I think this is a place that needs to be shared with that. It's important because I want to reach out and get this to people. You have political individuals who have a, an agenda for themselves and they have these lofty aspirations to be something that they really aren't and shouldn't be. And I heard an individual say this, make this statement, and I think it's absolutely pathetic because he has changed what it was meant because another individual had made it a political statement by grabbing onto it and making it a campaign slogan. But you have to think on this. Get your mind wrapped around this. <clears throat> Mega. M-A-G-A. And the statement was made, make America great again. And because people have taken that statement and changed it so that it becomes a political issue. Here's the thing. This is not a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. 
And this person who has these lofty ideals and these things here has declared that anyone that adheres to that is an enemy of the state. So I guess I'm an enemy of the state because I want to make America great again through it becoming once again one nation under God because that's the way this country was founded by our forefathers originally for <clears throat> religious freedom and without the oppression of believing and it was founded on those principles that we are able to worship God and pray to God and follow God. And that was one of our basic founding principles. And so this person with his lofty ideals who, um, here's the thing that they don't realize is that there's an agenda far greater than their political aspirations. But here's the thing, it's very important. Mega, make America great again. And by following the word of God and by worshiping Lord God, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. It used to lean that way. And then you have all these individuals that tried to separate that. And what is the primary goal that Satan drives for? And I say it all the time, and it has to do with anything that he does. Separation, derision, hatred. Why? Because God wants it the opposite. God wants us to love one another, to help one another, to show compassion to one another. And Satan wants to manipulate that and change it to everything the opposite direction. He wants to camouflage things. And he's adept at that. He's very adept at that. So camouflaging it for other things. These historical events and all these things that people are trying to destroy the history of this country, not realizing that those principles and those ideals that were driven by the forefathers creating this were was driving this country to be unified as God directed one nation under God. Indivisible. Unseparable. Inseparable. Can't be driven apart, pulled apart. But yet... This country is doing exactly that. This can be just like Israel was doing. They turned their back on the Lord. God didn't turn his back on them. They turned their back on God. This nation can be healed, but we need to cry out in one voice to do so. Stop following and the pandering of lies and pray to God for forgiveness for that. And here's the thing. <clears throat> Goes back to what I shared. Everything that we face cannot be changed, but we can't change anything until we face it. We face it with the hand, the, and holding on to the righteous right hand of God, and he walks with us. <clears throat> and some things are not going to be changed because they're part of God's agenda. And when he's ready to allow change or some things that he wants us to change and be able to face those with him, it's... Um, it's similar to the the trials that we go through and, and things like that that we, and we are going to go through though. That, that's not going to change because we're in a broken plane of existence. So that's one of those things that, that cannot change because this plane of existence we're on now is broken. And it's broken because mammon has chosen to let it be that way. Just like, 
individuals have chosen to allow this country to fall away from one nation under God, indivisible. We have allowed that to happen. So we have to face that and with the righteous right hand of God, walk through the tempest and not cower down and hunker down and pull our collars up and and sit down on the ground and say, I can't do this, I can't go on, I can't do this. And sadly, there are many people that are doing that very thing. But this is what I pray for every single day. Am I going out? Am I coming in? I pray for your strength, your courage, and your uprightness and boldness in the truth, the knowledge and wisdom of God to share the word of God, go forward with him, and let's change some things. But we have to do it by facing those changes and doing so by holding on to the right hand of God and believing in his promises because things can't change without facing them. But here's the thing, promise in the word of God, we don't face them alone. God promises that we do not face them alone and he doesn't leave us. We turn our back on him. So when you can't hear God, you don't see God, you don't think about God, that's exactly why, because you're not thinking about him. You're not leaning in to listen to that still small voice. You're like Elijah when God told him to go up on the side of the mountain. And when he went, what did he encounter when he went out there? He wasn't in the cleft of the rock. He wasn't in God's protection. He wasn't conversing with God. God told him, go out on the face of the mountain. Go ahead. I want you to go out there. I'm going to teach you something. Encountered the strong winds that were so powerful that they were causing stones and rocks to crumble and fall down or roll down the mountain. Um, Earthquakes all over the place. and The ground was shaking and and loud. Um, High, the high wind, the thunderstorms, the rain, the sudden thunderstorms and rain that just came up. And you had all these things, all this tumultuous things going on out there. And then God said, go back into the cleft rock, go back in the cave. What do we need to do? We need to go back into that cleft of the rock like he did with Moses said, I, I'm going to pass by and I'm going to allow you your request. But you need to go in the cleft of the rock because if you try to stand before me in my sovereign presence as you are a man and not been glorified yet, you will be utterly destroyed, utterly consumed. So he hid Moses, had Moses hide in the cleft of the rock. Moses was protected. Thank you. So, just talking to the Holy Spirit there for a minute because he just guided me in around things. Here's the thing that we have to remember. The cleft of the rock. What does that term mean? It's a protective open space between the walls. Elijah was told to go down off the mountain, out of the turmoil and go down into the cave, cleft of the rock opening in the rock and go down in there. And what did he hear as soon as he got in there? He heard God speaking to him clearly. God was talking to him up on the mount, but he couldn't hear because of all the tumult. And when he went back in the cave, as the scripture tells us, he heard the still, small voice. When we're out in the world, walking around, we think that we're alone. But if you lean in and listen and you go to the cleft of the rock, Our Lord, our hope 
is in Jesus Christ and faith. The cleft of the rock, when he puts his hands together and he holds us in there to protect us from those things that are going on around us. And there's an old song I can't I can't remember all the verses. I was little. Jesus is our rock in a weary land. Jesus is our rock in a dreary land. A stone is an anchor, a stone is a provider. Notice that when you go through when Egypt was leaving, when Israel was leaving Egypt. Where did God send him to every single time for water? Every time. Even when he disobeyed God and struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. God said, speak to the rock and I'll give you water. Well, he went out and thinking that Israel was so used to him tapping the stone with his staff that God had blessed and ordained for him to use as demonstration. They had been so used to him doing that. So he was thinking, he was thinking, boy, they're really upset that Thursday I got to get water up there and God said to talk to it, but I'm going to go ahead and show them that I've got that. So God gave him the water, but then he had private words, private conversation with Moses. You disobeyed me. I told you to speak to the rock and I would give you water. You decided, <clears throat> pardon me, you decided to alter and disobey what I tell you and do what you wanted to do. <clears throat> so you're not going to enter the promised land with the nation. I'm going to bring you home, but you're not going to go to the promised land because you disobeyed. And just like when he told the spies when they went into Canaan, he said, <clears throat> you go back. And uh, Moses had directed them to do that and they were gonna bring back the word. And they came back with negative word and they said, oh, we can't go in there because God can't do this. Those are pretty big, God can't do this. So they tossed out their faith and those 10 tribes said they were consumed by the earth and Israel was pointed out to stay wandering for a while because they had decided to follow the word of man rather than God, just like this nation has decided to follow the word of mammon instead of the word of God, that they have decided that they are no longer one nation under God and they want uh, compensation, uh, they want recompense, they want this, they want that, I want this, I want that, because why? They have put their faith in government as opposed to faith in God. Well, therein lies the problem. The government can't provide it because they're too busy taking for themselves and they don't have anything to provide for the people and they promise that they're going to do this, and they promise that they're going to do that, and so many have followed blindly to that, and they're not even talking to God anymore, and they don't seem to understand. This is truth. 
They're making it so difficult on the citizens and those that we should be caring for, praying for, helping, showing compassion and kindness. They're, they're throwing such intense derision in amongst us and people are becoming reliant on the empty promises of the government Oh, they're going to this and they're going to that. They said they're going to do that. Well, saying it and doing it are two different things. And brothers and sisters, I tell you this. Until there is healing, until there is repentance, until this nation turns back to the truth in God, there will not be change. But we need to face that and it cannot change until we face it. And in facing that, we come back in prayer. Thankfulness for God being with us to go through this. Worship him and thank him for the opportunity. And then worship him because of his salvation. It's there. This nation can be healed. And we can be one nation under God again. Make America great again means that we have to follow God. It's not a political stance. It has nothing to do with one party over another, except that you have individuals with their political aspirations who are lying deeply to guide the people, and they're making it a political statement. And then, and we, I, I guess I'm an enemy of the state now. I'm an enemy of this country, and I'm probably going to get a knock on my door or somebody because I want to make America great again. I want to see that happen. But through the word and testimony of the Lord God Almighty, who can do that, and it's got nothing to do with politics. It doesn't have anything to do with one politician over another. It's simply a fact, a statement of fact. I want to make America great again. There was a time, this is part of the reason that I went into the military, for crying out loud. And this country was doing great things. We were trying to, we were trying to be too much of a big brother, though. And we were trying to protect everyone, everywhere, all the time. And we used to have that might. And you used to get it accomplished pretty well. And nations were, for lack of a better description, fearful. But the thing of it is that the hand of God was with us. Not so much now. Why? Because we've turned away from God. We're not like-minded. We're allowing the agenda of the enemy to influence our actions and our reactions. And remember what I told you. God doesn't mind if we're afraid. Confess that. Change it. Be brave. Be upright. Be bold. Be courageous. In the word of God, through the testimony of God, and not through our own, lean not into our own understanding, but leaning in to hear God, as he did, spoke to Elijah in the cleft of the rock, the cave, and he protected Moses in the cleft of the rock. And every place that Israel went to in the desert when they needed water, they went to the rock and Moses provided provided water for the entire nation when they were out in the desert leaving Egypt everywhere. And you have to understand this too, is that those that left were not all from the nation of Israel. Some of them were people that had been captured and put into bondage and slavery with the Israel. And they left. I, we're, we're talking 
I forget what the number was. I sat down and did the math one time, and they were counting all that. And, but it literally took days for them to even, from the front of that multitude to the tail end, it took days for them to, to empty out Egypt. <laughs> and empty it they did, because there was nobody to do any of the labor and the work that had been being done by by. Israel and these other nations, but they wanted, because they believed and they saw, and they wanted to be freed, and they left. We're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. It took days from the front of that herd, that flock, to the end, to the last person that left that gate. It took days. And when you see things that, like uh, the propaganda that from Parkerwood, and you see the movie was still one of the finest movies that was produced, and but they don't do that stuff anymore. The Ten Commandments and Moses was played by Charlton Heston. It's still a pretty great movie and eventful and not so scriptural. But it was a pretty profound movie and um, you know, of course, it it didn't allow for the representation of the number and mass of people. It took days from the front to the back to get out of Egypt. And in saying that and speaking that, and the scriptures don't relate to the, how long it took them to cross the sea when Moses and God communicated and talked and Moses was told to raise his staff over the water and the sea parted. And God held the waters back. You think they just ran across and that's all it took and and in the representation of the movie they see the Egyptians hot on their tail. Well, it didn't exactly go that way. That representation is not relative to what actually took place. It took a long time for that crowd to walk through the open sea from one side to the other. And when the last person touched dry land, that God released the oceans down onto the Egyptian army because it took days for them to catch up. And at the Red Sea, they had finally done so. And when the last person got out, then God released the seas to flood down and destroy the army and Pharaoh that came out to take back the nation of Israel. Miracle upon miracle that they saw and yet they still turned away. Because as far as they were concerned, God had left them. God never left them. He still was there. The pillar of cloud or smoke, if you want to call it that, by day and the pillar of fire by night to show that he was still with them and he was still there. That pillar of cloud changed to a pillar of fire at nighttime. I mean, if you were standing down there and you were looking up and the twilight was coming and you see that pillar of cloud up there. And then when it got dark and nighttime, all of a sudden you see that things start to glow and then it becomes this pillar of flame. My goodness. They're seeing the majesty of God and he's fulfilling his promise to them to be with them. 
<clears throat> and this is what the word of God tells us is that we we need to stay in that and these sunsets that God has been given to me because he knows that I've been going through some <clears throat> issues, mostly of my mind. And he's, oh my, man, God is right there. He's with me. And the enemy is attacking, coming in. And, and um, he's changed a lot of things, <laughs> a lot. I've gone back to his medicine cabinet instead of the medicine that is being pandered through big pharma and other issues and come and numbers have changed they they following his medical plan for me has changed so many things <laughs> wow wow but these sunsets that god has been providing for he's been giving to me i mean yeah he's sharing with everybody but you know i've been talking to him about and he's providing this because he knows that i really love the sunsets I've been in a lot of wild places, a lot of uh, wild country. I've seen some beautiful, fantastic sunrises that he has allowed me to see and share with him. And that, um, but he knows that I really love the sunsets. Last night, wow. And I saw things that I had never seen in the sky before. I saw colors that I had never seen in the sky before. I saw the skies change color in the locations. And then you have those individuals say, oh, well, that's this and that's this. And they try to explain it away with a finite mind instead of accepting that it's the mighty hand of God and that he does this thing. They try to explain it away in physics and science and all that other stuff. I choose, and here's the thing, choosing again that mindset which has been changed by the way from what it was because I did the scientific thing trying to figure out all this stuff I've been allowed to see two comets that I will never see in my lifetime again unless God decides to keep me well into the hundreds and of course he's done that with a lot of people you have Enoch and Moses lived to be pretty old and Caleb he was 85 years old when he went back in the land of Canaan and beat up giants God could do that thing if he wants to. But anyway, these two of them that won't come back this way again until a lot of the world is really changed and I'm gone to be in heaven. I've been allowed to see St. Elmo's fire twice or what some people call the green flash, which is actually a rare occurrence. You have to be in just the right place at just the right time and the right conditions. And God has allowed me to see that two times. He's allowed me to see a new comet that comes by more frequently than the other two, but it was newly discovered. So he's allowed me to see those things. God is good. God is good to me. So my mindset tells me that all this other stuff his sunsets and all these things that he provides for us around. But as the word of God describes, that there will be individuals that are going to sit there and... I didn't know. God's going to say, how could you not know? Nature was hollering out to you and saying, hey, God is great. God is good. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. Look at us over here. Look what he did in the sunset. Look what he's done to the flowers. He's clothed them, clothed them greater than Solomon. Solomon 
at the time was declared to be the whitest man in existence and his majesty and all. He didn't ask to be wealthy, rich, and a king. He just asked for God's wisdom. God said, okay, I'll share that with you. And he gave Solomon truth, knowledge, and wisdom. He shared that with him. And then that all over the known world at that time, they came to him for answers and how to figure things out. And he became the most powerful, richest king of Israel they, they ever had. And suffice it to say, even greater than his father. And his father was David. And David was a great, David anointed of God, the king of Israel, and great and powerful, and, and everything he went through, and the book of Psalms, and the central portion of the Bible, and, and one verse in particular is absolutely in the middle, right smack in the middle of the Bible, in the middle of the truth, is to have faith in God. And we need to know that thing. We need to know that thing. And all these things are greater in him than in us. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go find that. I wrote it down in the side because it is the, the central, central portion Before I go, though, the Holy Spirit just directed my thought process. And so, ah, here we go. This is when, um, this is when Jesus encounters the nobleman. The uh, man comes. So, he met this nobleman, and this is in uh, John chapter 4, verse 46. And this is after talking to the woman in the well. <laughs> Spirit just took me over there. I was going to jump over there. To, I'll do that after we get done, because the Holy Spirit's got me over here to... Uh, some things that are popping out here in the book of John. John, of course, being Jesus' earthly cousin. James, also his earthly cousin. Remember, their mother, Salome, is Mary's sister. So that makes her children Jesus' cousins. Just like John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin. John and James, Jesus' cousin. Cousins. So... <clears throat> Jesus is talking to a woman at the well and they're trying to talk to Jesus because he'd been with the woman at the well and all these things and they, they went to get supplies and brought back food and they, they, they asked him to eat but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. And you remember I've shared this with you before is that depending on the translation and what language Bethlehem, 
the city where Jesus was born. In Arabic, it means the house of meat. In Hebrew, it means the house of bread. <clears throat> Pardon me. Jesus, our Lord, the Christ, anointed of God, coming for us, came for me. He came to die on the cross for me. Yes, I make it personal. What was he thinking before he came in? He was thinking about me. He was thinking about you and you and you and you. Make it personal. This is what God desires, a personal relationship with us. So depending on the translation, it means the house of meat or the house of bread. The word of God, the Bible, the, the instruction manual, the word of God is, has been called the bread of life. It is our instruction manual to guide us through life. Jesus has been called the bread of life. As he was the water, and he has living water, as he told the woman at the well, the water that I offer, you will not thirst again. I provide you with truth, knowledge, and wisdom of the Lord God Almighty. I testify to the gospel of God my Father. Where do you think I learned to speak parabolically? I learned that from my Father. I am my Father, my Father is me. We are one. I am with you as one. And when he spoke the parables to the Sanhedrin, they didn't get it. Why? Because it was, it was given of God. And their father, as Jesus told them, is the devil. When they tried to tell Jesus that he was blasphemy and that he calls out <clears throat> all these things in the name of Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, Satan. He's, I could just imagine the facial expressions. He's rolling his eyes and he's giving them this look like, what, Really? I'm going to cast out demons of Satan and his minions, and I'm going to cast him out of, in his name? That doesn't make any sense. A nation unto cannot survive if it fights itself. Excuse me, there we go. If we are fighting amongst ourselves, I'm going to digress and come back to this nation that we live in. Make America great again under one God, indivisible, if we're so busy fighting one another, how are we going to get anything at all from anywhere, anyone? We're so busy fighting. We're so busy arguing about who's right, who's wrong, what is greater, what color is greater, what color is more powerful. This matters, that matters. No, it all matters. All lives matter to God, the Father, the Sovereign Lord, God Almighty. It isn't one over another. For God so loved the world. I didn't love whites more. I didn't love Indians more. I didn't love Asians more. I didn't love the blacks more. I didn't love this or that more and more and more. If you're offended by what I'm sharing, guess what? I'll repeat what I say. I don't care because my validation does not come from you. It comes from my Lord God Almighty. God decided the tonation of the skin, the character of your heart. You have determination over. Are you going to be compassionate and kind and uplifting to your brothers and sisters of the world? Or are you going to be so angry and so upset because God's tonation of your skin drives you to be that way and you're listening to the poison of the, of the minions of hell? And people in this plane of existence are minions of hell, just like Jesus told the Sanhedrin. You're 
father is a devil, so you don't recognize the truth and you don't speak the truth because you speak his language. Lies, deceit, distrust. They called the son of God because they couldn't follow his parables. They didn't get it. His parabolic speech when he explained it to them, 